is straight to the source, your destination for food, views and big ideas. Brought to you by two of the best in the business, Tonya Barr and Lucy Allon. Join them to discover some of Australia's most dynamic food, hospitality and agribusiness leaders. Hello and welcome to Food, Views and Big Ideas. I'm Tonya Barr. And I'm Lucy Allen. And this is the podcast from us here at Straight to the Source. In this podcast, we will be introducing you to the people who are driving our food and hospitality industry forward. Whether it be on the land, in the water, in the kitchen or from the boardroom. Each of our guests are playing a significant role in the evolution of Australia's food identity and culture. And we want you to know who they are, their views and their big ideas. Hi everyone, it's Lucy here with you today and welcome to another episode of Food, Views and Big Ideas. Joining me in the studio today is Joe Lane from Sea Health Products. Joe is a kelp farmer producing all natural hand harvested 100% Australian kelp products from the south coast of New South Wales and she has a range of award winning culinary products like golden kelp granules and powder, furikake, I hope I pronounced that correctly as well as body care products like blue eucalyptus kelp soap. With a background in marine science and sustainable coastal environments and a very keen interest in healthy living, Jo's mission is to encourage more Australians to understand and enjoy the incredible benefits of kelp and the possibilities of seaweed being part of the climate solution, all of which I'm really excited to learn more about. So, Jo, hello and thank you for joining us. Hello, Lucy. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to have you here today and so much to cover, so much that I'm really excited to learn more about from you and your amazing journey that you've been on in this world of, of Australian kelp. But let's start, let's start at the beginning, learning a little bit about your background and how you became the owner of Sea Health Products. Sure. Well, I, I started uni not really knowing what I wanted to do, but knowing that I wanted to do something in conservation or zoology. So that's kind of, I started doing a general science, but in second year, I was really fortunate to get a job at one of the aquariums in Sydney, which totally opened my eyes to the marine environment and changed the course of my study and really now the course of my life. So I became very obsessed with the marine environment, how beautiful it was and a real sense of urgency to do something about protecting it. So then fast forward, I managed to get quite a few interesting jobs. I was a seal trainer. I fed sharks. I worked with coastal communities on um, planting programs. I worked for fisheries. I worked for um, national parks. And then I moved to the South Coast and one day was reading a newspaper and a property had sold for six million dollars which was big news for our town and I knew that it was the property of the business Sea Health Products because when I worked for fisheries I'd actually processed the permit for this seaweed business. I thought oh that's interesting I wonder what they're doing with the business. So I contacted them and next thing I was the owner of a business. So that was in 2015. All right so not planned in many senses. Yeah, I'd done a lot of working for like different levels of government, federal, state and local government, but never had much of an idea about having my own business. And really when I when I took the business on, I was a bit naive and idealistic, picturing myself frolicking along the beach, you know, picking up seaweed and putting it in my basket, which we still do, but there's a bit more to it. (laughs) So all of a sudden you're a, a small business owner. 
what did that look like for you? What what was um, you've bought this business? You've obviously got a lot of experience and understanding of of marine science in that world. But where did you start? Like, tell us how how you saw this business and what the opportunity was. Yeah, well, I just was really fortunate for that the previous owners had um, a database of existing customers, which included you know health food stores and um, gourmet delis and and online. But I initially just did what they did, I learned the ropes, so to speak. But once I started Googling kelp, I became quite obsessed and realised it was so versatile and there was so much opportunity and different products that we could make. And so I became quite interested in in, in that side of things and how we could uh, develop the business into something a bit more than a cottage industry. So I think I feel like there's a lot more awareness now of of the opportunities for seaweed and kelp, both as a culinary product, but also in its role in the environment. But when you embarked on this journey, was that something, I mean, you're a marine scientist and you said you were learning. So how has that evolved and developed and, and, and what was the opportunity you saw then? I suppose I initially just went, wow, kelp can be used for food, pharmaceutical, fertilizer, agricultural feed, nutraceuticals. It has so many applications. We just need more kelp. And I thought, how I can't physically collect enough kelp to do all these amazing things. So I just thought, oh, let's get into kelp farming. Let's grow it so we can have some more. And I was a bit um, surprised to learn that there were no kelp farms in Australia. So I got a Churchill Fellowship and travelled the world in 2019 to Asia. Um, We went to Korea, Ireland, Scotland, Norway, Faroe Islands, US and Canada and saw um, kelp farms, uh, met with scientists, business owners, and I came back all inspired to, to take that on. But what I learned from that trip and was not only the potential that of uh, different products and things like that, but the environmental benefits associated with growing kelp. So kelp is similar to like a rainforest, I suppose. So as it's growing, it's absorbing, absorbing nutrients and carbon dioxide. It's providing habitat. It's reducing ocean acidification. So it's helping to improve the marine environment as it grows. And then once it's harvested, it can replace some sort of fossil fuel intensive uh, ingredients as well. So it can have a real positive environmental benefit. And that's what really is exciting me. And it's delicious. And it's delicious. (laughs) I mustn't forget that. (laughs) And it's good for you. Like it's got so many health benefits because it just absorbs all the nutrients. So it's high in iodine, magnesium, zinc, potassium, calcium. You know, it's got all of these micronutrients contained within it. So I just say it's like taking a natural multivitamin as well as being incredibly flavoursome because it's got that umami taste. So how, how do you farm kelp? So it looks very similar to a mussel farm. So you have anchors, ropes, and then a grow line and a few floats on the surface. But in the laboratory, um, once we get the, the babies, we spray them onto string or twine, and that twine's wrapped around a, a PVC pipe. So we have about 50 metres of twine per pipe. Um, and then once they're kind of eyelash size. You take them out to the to plant them in the ocean. So that PVC pipe goes through the rope, 
and that twine is wrapped around the rope and then it's lowered down to around two to three metres in the ocean and it and that's it. Like it just needs sunlight and nutrients to grow. So it absorbs the nutrients that are in the ocean, uses the sunlight and you know, six or so months later it's ready to harvest. Okay, so it's not rooted into the seabed. It's, it's still attached to the ropes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So algae or seaweeds, um, they're different to land plants. They don't. Ha- they have what's called a hold fast, but they don't have a root system. So they're not, you know, absorbing their nutrients through the soil like land plants. They're absorbing their nutrients through every part of their body, and that's also why they grow faster, absorb more carbon dioxide because it's. With land plants, it's only the green parts, only the leaves that are photosynthesizing and um, and growing, whereas the marine plants, the whole part of the plant is photosynthesizing. So when you were on this Churchill Fellowship, the countries that you visited and the people that you met were exploring this, were they ahead of the game in what you were understanding and learning and are they already steps ahead of Australia or where, where is it on a global sort of landscape in terms of, of kelp farming and, and what it's achieving and where it's at? Sure. Well, kelp farming has been happening, you know, for almost 100 years in Asia. So they're very well advanced with a number of different species as well. And they're quite um, expansive in their farming and also in their production. So um, the 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 farm that we visited was in Korea and they're producing nori sheets. Um, so that, that's what many people think of when you say seaweed. They think of sushi or um, or nori. Then, yeah, Europe is certainly ahead of us because currently in Australia there are no kelp farms and I suppose I should just clarify at the moment there's a you know, difference between seaweed and kelp. There's um, seaweed's kind of like the, the broader um, characterization. So it's like saying fruit and apples. So not all seaweeds are kelp, but um, all kelps are seaweed. So it's around 12,000 species of seaweed glo- globally and they're classified into red, brown and green. But at the moment there's no commercial kelp farms in, in Australia and that's what I'm working towards. So we've got a few challenges ahead of us. Why is that the case? What are the challenges? What are the barriers to creating kelp farms in Australia? When we returned from our trip in 2019, we're all ready to go. Let's let's do this. But we soon realised that you need two things for kelp farming. You need seed stock and you need access to water. So, you know, just like any farming, if you're going to farm tomatoes, you need land and you need tomato seed. And because Australia has or the Southern Hemisphere has a unique set of seaweed species. Nobody had really understood the life cycle of the species that we're interested in growing here. You're trying to work out how to farm kelp and to start that process, you need to understand where you start, so with the seed. Yeah, kelp seedlings, the official term is uh, sporophytes. But, um, yeah, we had to spend a lot of time understanding the breeding requirements of our unique species in Australia. So we spent about five years understanding that, talking to researchers, built our own laboratory. And, yeah, we're really excited about 
how we've what we've achieved and and how we can now grow these baby kelps or seedlings that can be utilized for future farm projects and also now for restoration so you know our marine environment with the challenges of climate change and marine heat waves ocean warming and we also have now um, sea urchin proliferation and urchin barrens here on the south coast so I'm really excited about the possibility that what we've achieved with our research in being able to grow the kelp will be able to be transferred into restoration projects as well. So just to um, clarify my understanding of that, like the, the sea urchin, that's almost like an invasive pest that wipes out kelp forests. Is that, how, is that the impact they have? It's sea urchins are actually a native species. So the ones we're talking about are called Centro for short, Centro Stephanus. Um, so they are a native species in New South Wales, but a combination of factors such as removal of their predators, so fishing of the sort of larger, middle to larger size fish um, and lobsters has en- enabled them to proliferate as well as the increased marine temperatures. And what we've found is that they've now extended their range and they've started moving down into Victoria and into Tasmania, and that's starting to have an impact on other fisheries like the lobster fishery and, and abalone. So there was just a recent Senate inquiry into making recommendations to address the issue of, of sea urchins. So then going back to the, the kelp seedlings... You you can cultivate those, or do you have to start off with 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 a wild kelp as, as that starting point? Oh wow! Okay, you want all the biology. Um, the what we do is we go diving and we collect sorus tissue or reproductive tissue from from adult kelp, which is about you know it's just a darker patch on the kelp, but it's let's say we take about twenty. Uh, something the size of a 20 cent piece and we bring it back and we stress it out so we dry it we clean it we dry it and then after a while we put it back into seawater and it releases thousands of zoo spores so similar to a mushroom or a fern releases all these spores they then turn into male and female gametophytes which then fertilize but what we also can do is if we keep them under red light we can stop them from fertilizing so we can actually create a seed bank of gametophytes from different locations so that's also you know quite exciting for restoration projects in the future wow it's fascinating so so you have to start with the wild but then you could that leads you on this journey to them being able to manage and cultivate building up that seed stock which then will lead to being able to farm it on a grander scale yeah absolutely and that seed stock you can keep for for years on our trip overseas I met a, a scientist who had his dolps, which is a very popular type of seaweed. He had his gametophytes for 20 years. So, you know, you can keep them alive, which means, you know, if something does happen to the wild population, you don't have to go back and, you know, take take from that to get your reproductive tissue. That's amazing. So really you're on the leading edge of of, of building up this seed bank in Australia so that kelp farming will be possible in the future. Yes, yes, and we're trying to collect from different locations so so that we can, you know, help farmers in Victoria, South Australia and and other places in the future. And is that because kelp grows differently in those different environments or is that just so that you can um increase the number of people growing it in different areas? 
Oh, it's more about biosecurity. So obviously you want to keep, you know, the genetic stock from that particular location. <laughs> I, I had understood a little bit of it, but it's really fascinating to hear you articulate it and, and to understand the the opportunity that this is leading towards. And so, I mean, I'm going to ask maybe what might seem an obvious question, but I'll ask it just so I can make sure I, I had do understand the answer. But why can't we just rely on the wild stocks of kelp? Uh, kelp, well, that's what I've been trying to do for the last seven years with, with the business. And it's seasonal, inconsistent, unreliable. And I think in order to do all of these amazing things, I think it it's and there's not enough naturally washing in. So the regulations are different in each state. So in New South Wales, I have a licence to um, hand harvest. So we can collect what is um, dislodged from storms and we can collect between the tides. So we get up early in the morning, which is beautiful, we head to the beach and if it's there, we collect it. But quite often it's not there. So in order to, you know, have enough kelp to address all these new markets, I think we need to look at um, farming it and and growing it from it's regenerative even so it's you know we can take like I say a twenty cent piece from a an adult and from that we can create enough stock to you know for a one hectare farm so it's regenerative agriculture and I think that's kind of where we really need to be thinking with our with our food systems is how can we actually give back to nature how can we enhance and make our our food product, food systems more productive yeah absolutely and then through that creating a viable industry that isn't just totally reliant on these fluctuations in as you said seasonality and availability and i think i just want to pick up on one point that you just made for all our listeners out there that might be thinking oh i see kelp on the beach you need to have a license and it's not something people can just go and help themselves to yeah absolutely yeah and you also need to be careful about where you are harvesting from so in New so you need to check the regulations in in each state but in New South Wales you can collect for your private use for your garden or for your private use and there's um, limits on how much you can collect but if you are thinking of eating it you need to be careful about where you collect it from so kelp like I say it absorbs nutrients um, but it also will absorb pollutants. Um, Okay, so I think that's an important clarification. So, listeners, if you see kelp on the beach, just be aware of what you need to, what licenses you need to have, and and what it is before you you might try uh, putting it in your mouth. So, there's this incredible opportunity that is so tied to positive climate outcomes, and like you said, regenerative um, systems in our, our marine environments, and it leads to also creating incredible culinary products. Tell us a little bit about the products that you have available at the moment or you're making at the moment from the kelp that you harvest. Yeah, so we're still quite small scale because of, you know, what's 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 available to us. So we wash the kelp and we dry it and then we mill it into granules or powder. And then we've added, um, we have we've have a smoked variety, so we cold smoke the kelp with Australian red gum chips and that's the one that won the gold medal so that's really tasty and really just nice on avocado or tomato or oysters or a whole range of things. Um, I've done a, a, a chili or a, like a Japanese furikake which 
sesame seed, chili, nigella seeds. So that's also very tasty and popular. And then we, um, on the South Coast, there's obviously a lot of nice seafood and oysters. So I created a um, kelp with native finger lime powder. So they're the four that we have at the moment, plain, smoked, furikake and finger lime. But there's kind of endless opportunities. It's it's very versatile. And easy to use. So, I mean, whether you're a, a home cook or a, a chef in a food service environment, it's a very versatile product um, in terms of a seasoning, a sprinkle. You've got some great recipe ideas on your website. But in, from a food service environment, there's such a great opportunity here, isn't there, for not just adding flavor to food, but also boosting the nutrient content of food, which is something that, you know, is a really growing demand from consumers because health and well-being has just become this very driving force, I think, as a result of COVID and people's, you know, growing knowledge in this space. But tell us a little, I mean, you mentioned it briefly before, but tell us a little bit more, I guess, about what these products offer in a food service environment. Yeah, well, like I said, they've got that natural umami flavour, but... Like very versatile. I can't eat eggs without having kelp, kelp on it. What we're hoping to do in the future as well is kelp strips, which can be used for making a dashi or a broth. And that's, you know, got long sort of cultural connections to to Asia. And, you know, they, they use that as their almost like their medicine, I suppose. You know, it's got all of these nutrients. So I think not only the flavour but but the health benefits it's not something that's naturally in our diet or not something that, that Australia, the Western diet is used to. In Asia, they eat it all the time. And they have, you know, in Okinawa, in Japan, they have the highest number of centurions or people living to be over 100. You know, they have these really, this longevity and not just longevity, but health, healthy lifestyle and healthy lives. So I think there's a lot of correlations that we can we can take from the Asian diet and and their their health. Yeah, a lot of learning. I think just yeah, the applications of how it's used, but also as you said, I think maybe culturally Australians don't think of of all these benefits in adding it to their food and you know there's um you say seaweed or you say kelp and I think people think sushi or they think, you know, Japanese style food, but it has so many different applications that can be considered, which is is really exciting. What, what future plans do you have for new products? Where are you heading in that sort of product development space? Oh, wow. Keeps me awake at night. There's, there's so many. But um, like I say, I, I think initially the, the strips, uh, people are asking for that. So there's there's demand for the strips that you can use for soup and for, for broth. Working on a seaweed salad, which I would like, you know, in every fish and chip shop in Australia. So we can make, I've, I've been experimenting with that. There's, yeah, sauerkraut and kimchi, pesto, there's a whole range of, of different products, pasta, kelp noodles. So, you know, they're, they're things that are um, already existing in overseas markets but not not made with Australian kelp. So there's there's opportunities for plant-based meat, so utilising kelp in in other, other products like that, um, sports bars, sports nutrition. Opportunities are endless, which is very, very <laughs> exciting. But so, in order to do that, we, you know, the challenge is, you know, getting the supply um, so that we can um, meet yeah. that demand or meet that that development process and phase. Exactly. I suppose I'm coming at this as a as a scientist and a conservationist, and then kind of stumbled into a, a beautiful business, you know, with all of these 
opportunities. So I'm excited about, you know, the potential of, of the development of different products and the versatility. So I suppose my, my frustration is this supply issue, you know, if only I had more kelp because I'm getting inquiries all the time for different cool ideas, like people wanting to make drinks, there's people making gin, there's people making beer, there's people making all kinds of things as well. And so the one thing holding all of that back is the supply issue. Absolutely. So what are the steps that need to come next? Like how do you go from where you are now to farming kelp within your own business for your own product development? Where where, where to next? Uh, We've done some trials in the ocean that have been successful, so in New South Wales, but we've also visited South Australia and um, set up a hatchery over there. So we've got some trials in the border in South Australia. So there is momentum, there is support, and once these trials are successful, then we'll be able to put more of our babies out and hopefully have, you know, more product in the future to do all these wonderful things, you know, in the next year or so. And so the knowledge that you take from these trials in South Australia will then translate to what you'll be able to do on the south coast of New South Wales? Yeah, we're working through the regulations here. We're we're going through the environmental impact assessment process. So that's, you know, another another challenge, but we're we're working through that at the moment, as well as looking at um, working with other industry partners in South Australia that have already got access to leases. And so if you had this farming infrastructure in the water and you wanted to like pick it up and move it, would it leave any kind of environmental footprint? Does it have any positive, I presume it would have positive impacts in the water, no negative impacts? Yeah, there's a lot of um, environmental regulations and monitoring around aquaculture so you um, are not allowed to go on reefy areas, so it has to be on sand. You have to do, you know, water quality monitoring and benthic surveys and things like that. But, yeah, if you want to um, or don't want to farm anymore, you just remove the infrastructure from the water. It's so exciting to to think about what's ahead. I mean, we've been thrilled to to know you and and have watched, you know, you go on this journey and and um, be with you a little bit on this journey in terms of, you know, your products just are so delicious and and being able to put them um in front of chefs and and get chefs to taste them and see their reaction when they taste them and you know the deliciousness that it delivers and the versatility that it delivers it's it's super exciting and you know just to hear the excitement in your voice about what the potential is where do you see see health products being in 5 years time or where do you see and and I guess in conjunction to that question where do you see kelp farming being in 5 years time what what's the vision that you have wow I suppose I've been working now for eight years. Uh, well, I bought the business eight years ago and I pretty much early on went, wow, we need to farm this. And so I suppose I, I can't rest until that's done. But that's my vision is to have to, on my LinkedIn, it says pioneering kelp farming aquaculture in Australia. So that's what I'm, I'd like to achieve. I want to get kelp farming happening in Australia because of all the benefits that it can have as far as helping other businesses, creating a whole new sustainable industry. I suppose as well my my vision is to improve the health of Australians, the health of our oceans and the health of our planet. So I suppose that's that's what I'd like to be known for. That's what I'd like to achieve even though it's, it's a very big vision. I, I believe that kelp farming can certainly play a role in that. 
I love the vision. You're giving me goosebumps, you know, just hearing you talk about it. And I think what's amazing about what you're doing as well is that, you know, your openness to sharing all these learnings, you know, what you learned through the Churchill Fellowship and that report and what you're applying to the trials in South Australia and, you know, being able to take other people on this journey so that the industry benefits and the public, the the consumer, Australians benefit, our marine environment benefits. So there's so many wonderful outcomes that will eventuate. If we have any listeners who want to learn more from Joe, any chefs or food service professionals that are wanting to learn more about Joe's products, please get in touch with us. Uh, My brain is just like, I've got so many questions for you, but we're running out of time. So I I feel like we might have to revisit this conversation in in maybe a year or 18 months time to see how things have progressed and how the trials in South Australia are going. When do you feel, when will you see some outcomes of those trials? Uh, probably around August, July, August. 2024. Next year, yeah. Yeah, okay. And so the products that you have in mind, the culinary products that you mentioned before that are in development, are these progressing in pace with that or do you need to to see the outcomes of these trials move to the farming before you can do more of the product development phase? We've been working with CSIRO on one of the products. So I think once we have enough biomass then that will be you know available quite quickly hopefully um so i'm excited for that but there's a lot to developing a new product like shelf stabilization yes. and and particularly with the with the salad so i'm, I'm quite excited about the salad but yes yeah, still working through a few things and so it I doesn't just- quite have that bright green color which is okay with me but it's just you know how do you get people to accept like it's got an amazing taste but it doesn't have that bright green color so you know working through things like that yeah. Well, as you touched on, new product development is a journey in and of itself, as as you know, and we've had lots of conversations yourself, Tonya, and, and talking about all of this. Um, we've got a wonderful program, Concept to Consumer, that I think you're aware of that might be really helpful in, in um, some of those, ch- not challenges, but some of those um, uh, product development phases that you need to work through, but it, I, it's super exciting to to understand where you're heading with this. And as I mentioned before, if we have any listeners who would like to learn that, you know, maybe learn more about kelp farming or learn more about um, Joe's products, please get in touch with us at Straight to the Source. Um, we will also share links in our show notes to your website, Joe, and you've got a wonderful array of products and recipe ideas and gifts for those hard to please uh, food lovers. You've got some fantastic products that people can buy online. Um, But I think we do have to revisit this conversation because there's so much ahead and there's so much uh, progress to be made. And it's such an incredible opportunity in a broad sense. So we can't wait to watch this journey evolve. It's just so exciting where you're heading with this. You know, there's more, there's so much more to come. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It is exciting. Um, but yes, it's, it's a marathon, I suppose. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's getting closer and it's, it's encouraging to see that, you know, the, the success that people are having overseas. So it's not like I'm trialing something totally weird and wacky and out there. Like this is, this is a proven thing. You know, you grow kelp in a lab, you put it, out in the ocean it absorbs nutrients and um it it grows over six months into this beautiful product that you can harvest so you know we just need to 
do more trials in the ocean, work out the best time to put it out, the best depth and the best locations and all of that sort of stuff. So there's still a lot of learning to do, but we're getting closer, you know, and getting some good positive results. So it keeps me going, which is exciting. <laughs> well, congratulations on what you're doing because you're doing two major things. You're running and building a small business and you are pioneering this incredible research and knowledge in an area that is um, going to benefit the marine environment and Australians' health and well-being from a culinary product perspective. So amazing. Hats off to you. Thank you so much for joining us today and chatting to us. And I would love to come back and um, chat to you again in, in 6, 12, 18 months and just see where things have headed, what great new products are out in the market. But in the meantime, we look forward to uh, staying in touch and, and watching the, the journey evolve. Wonderful. Thanks, Lucy. Well, thank you so much for tuning in with us today. We really hope you enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed the conversation. You'll find links to anything mentioned in today's chat in the show notes. We have some extraordinary guests lined up, and we'd love for you to join us again. Please make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss future episodes. We'd love feedback good or bad, or perhaps a guest you'd love to hear from, please just let us know. And the best way to stay up to date with what we're doing, who we're talking to, and where you'll find us around the country is to become part of our Straight to the Source community at straighttothesource.com.au forward slash community. Until next time.